It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome aboard. Have you been out fishing or hunting over the past week? I managed to get out earlier this week to a pretty little stream in central Washington called the Icicle River, which normally gets a good return of coho salmon this time of year. Unfortunately, they're just not in yet. I think low water levels are to blame, so I'll wait until we get a little more rain and try again. But I've got to admit, fishing in the shadow of the snow-topped Cascade Mountains and watching all the leaves turn, it makes for a pretty place to cast a line. I'm hoping I'll have better luck going after ducks or geese this weekend with my son who is visiting us. I know a fresh blast of waterfowl have come into eastern Washington's Columbia Basin and we just have to decide if we're going to hunt over decoys for ducks or take a gamble and hope we can find the right place to do some pass shooting on some lesser Canada geese. Either way, it should be fun. This week on the show, we will be talking quite a bit about hunting, deer hunting to be exact. We'll start off talking to Robbie Denning, a mule deer hunting expert, about his new book, Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. Then we'll ask Robbie why the month of November is arguably the best month of the year to tag out on a big muley buck and get some advice from him on how to do just that. From mule deer, we'll transition to whitetails, prairie whitetail deer to be exact, when we chat with Derek Horner, who has some tips, courtesy of Greg Clements with the hunting public, about how to tag out on a prairie whitetail this fall. Derek wrote a great article about this. You can find it at OutdoorLife.com, and he'll be going over the highlights with you here that's going to really give you a new arrow or two of knowledge you can put in your hunting quiver. In between all of this deer hunting advice, we'll also talk to Dr. Edward Arnett. He is the CEO of the Wildlife Society, a group made up of wildlife biologists and game management professionals from around the country, and they are going to have their annual conference with some 2,000 expected attendees in Spokane, Washington this week. Some of the attendees, though, are not state or federal game biologists, but instead environmental activists who don't have much use for hunting as a game management tool. We'll talk to Dr. Arnett about this and get his take on how he thinks their presence will or won't affect things at their annual conference. In addition to this, we've got a Trail of Shame segment for you that is just disgusting. It involves a Montana hunter who proudly posted a picture of a wolf she had shot and skinned during a predator hunt on social media. The problem is, that animal wasn't a wolf. It was a six-month-old Siberian husky. This is one segment you won't want to miss. Speaking of segments, it's time again for... Fishing and Hunting Reports from Around the Nation. We'll start off at Cordell Hole Reservoir, where Will Shabig, the Region 3 Creole clerk, reports that water temperatures are averaging in the low 60s in the river channel and 65 degrees in the creek arm. Bass fishing has been steady, and they're still being caught around bait in the middle portions of the creeks. Fish with a jerk bait or crankbaits in the morning and slow down with soft plastics during the day. As for the sauger and the walleye, well, that bite has dropped off, but the fishing for striped bass is good. Striped bass are being caught in the Salina area and into the Obi River, and those stripers should start to move down into the Gainsborough area soon. Fishing with live shad is the best approach. 
We've got another Tennessee fishing report about famed Lake Pickwick from contributor Tyler Finney. He says the lake has been stingy the past few days as temperatures have plummeted, leaving the bass lethargic. There are still plenty of bass being caught in the grass and around the trace bridge as well as up the river for smallmouth. And Finley recommends using a shaky head close to that bridge for the smallmouth. From Tennessee, we'll head to California where recreational crabbing was scheduled to open this weekend, but the Department of Fish and Wildlife there is making some changes due to the presence of a large number of humpback whales in the waters off the California coast. These whales will often become entangled with crab gear, which can kill them. So the use of crab pots or traps, as CDFW calls them, are not allowed by either recreational or commercial crabbers until more whales leave the area. Don't despair, though. You can still use crab snares and crab rings, which work well in shallower waters from boats and piers for both rock crab and Dungeness crab. Our next stop, that would be the Show Me State of Missouri, where turkey and deer hunters alike had success in October. According to preliminary data from the Missouri Department of Conservation, hunters checked in 1,846 turkeys during the fall firearm turkey season that ran from the 1st through the 31st. The top harvest counties were Franklin with 70 birds harvested, Gasconade with 52, and Laclede with 50. Preliminary data with the same agency also showed that young hunters ages 6 through 15 harvested 13,759 deer during Missouri's early youth portion of the 2022 deer hunting season. That took place the 29th and 30th of October. The top counties were Franklin with 330 deer, Osage with 310, and Howell with 260. Youth hunters harvested 15,608 during last year's early youth portion, so as impressive as this year was, it was down a bit. From Missouri, we'll head to the Lone Star State of Texas, where Texas Parks and Wildlife has their latest Panhandle Plains region fishing reports, and we'll start off with the one body of water ranked as great. This would be Hubbard Creek Reservoir. The water is stained, its temperature 73 degrees, the white bass will be excellent from now until December, according to Clayton Lowe's with Respect the Fish Guide Service. He says you can target large active schools of these fish in 20 to 30 feet of water on main lake structure. They will be hitting anything you throw at them, slabs, rooster tails, roadrunners, or spoons. Another water worth fishing in this area is Meredith Reservoir. It's ranked as good. The water's stained right now, 63 degrees. But according to Kenneth Weissong with Sharkin's Honey Hole, the fall bite will continue to improve as the water temperatures and air temperatures decline. Bass are good on minnows and artificial baits. Catfish are fair on live stink and punch baits. And crappie are fair right now, jigging minnows around cover. White bass fishing has been excellent on minnows or using small spinner baits and a jig head with a curly-tailed grub. Trout fishing's been slow, but walleye has been good using artificials, minnows, and crawlers in 20 to 25 feet of water. Our next item isn't so much a fishing report as it is a news flash. Larry Nixon is returning to the Bassmaster Elite Series from BASS. We learned 16 years after his last Bassmaster Classic appearance and more than two decades after he was inducted in the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame, 72-year-old Larry Nixon 
will make his Bassmaster Elite Series debut in February. Nixon fished his first BASS event in 1977, and he hosted the Classic Crown in 1983. Nixon, believe it or not, will actually not be the oldest angler fishing the Bassmaster Elite Series this year. That achievement goes to longtime bass pro Rick Klun, who is 76. Good luck, Larry. There will be a bunch of us rooting for you. Next, are you wondering what to do with those pumpkins you put out on the front porch for Halloween? Well, the folks at Wyoming Game and Fish are asking you to put them into your garbage can and not let them rot in your yard or back 40. While it may seem harmless to leave pumpkins out, it's in fact the opposite. For example, mule deer digestive systems cannot handle these unnatural foods, which often leads to sick animals. In addition, this food source may attract scavenging animals from raccoons to bears. State wildlife biologist Stan Harder says, This time of year we get many calls about sickly deer fawns, and much of this can be attributed to these deer eating foods that offer little nutritional value and that they have a difficult time digesting. This makes them susceptible to parasites and other diseases. So, don't leave those pumpkins out. Put them in the garbage can. There you go. If you're like me, you just learned something new. And with that, you now have this week's Fishing and Hunting Reports from Around the Nation. Stick around. We've got a great conversation coming your way with Idaho mule deer hunter Robbie Denning, who is a true expert when it comes to bagging big bucks. been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing, halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. 
Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. When it comes to mule deer hunting, there's just a few people that I go to that I trust on this topic. And one of them is Robbie Denning. And he's got a brand new book out, Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. And he's with us today. Robbie, welcome to the show. Hey, glad we finally made it on, man. I know it's been a busy fall and we've tried a couple times, but here we are. Well, I'm glad that you finally got on with me because I've had this book for a while now. I'm really liking it. And this is different than your first book, Hunting Big Mule Deer. This one actually is not just from you. It's got a whole mm -hmm. bunch of authors that are telling stories about hunting mule deer. Tell us more. You bet. It's the second book in my series of Hunting Big Mule Deer. The first one was you know, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life. And so it was just a how-to book. But after I wrote that, a lot of people were asking for more stories, more stories. And I thought, okay, well, I can get you stories. So I already had a bunch of them myself from hunts. And um, I decided, you know, I know a lot of guys that are really, really good mule deer hunters. And, you know, they love to write. They love to make videos and everything. So I reached out to them and every single one of them said yes. So I ended up with nine authors altogether. Don't quote me on that. I'd have to open the table of contents again. So many of them, I kind of lost track. <laughs> but I, I got stories in there from people that are just kind of coming into big mule deer hunting. You know, maybe they've just been freezer fillers here for uh, growing up and everything. But now they're starting to appreciate, you know, more meat per bullet is what you get on big mule deer. That's the way I look at it. And extending their hunt time a little bit longer. So I got some, some newer voices in there. And those are always great to listen to the up-and-comers because, you know, they're fresh, fresh eyes. You know, they're thinking, they're thinking fresh. And then I took it all the way up to some of the old-timers. No offense, Randy Ulmer, but you are older than me, so I'm calling you an old-timer. But Randy Ulmer. Anybody that's been around the, the world of big mule deer, especially archery, would know who Randy Ulmer is. He's probably the number one big mule deer hunter in the country right now. And he submitted a story. And um, and then on down the line, you know, Ryan Lampers put one in there, uh, Muley Slayer, Mark Smith, uh, he wrote the foreword. And so it's a good representative of nine ways to skin a cat is how I call it, you know, because we all do it slightly different. You know, we have different approaches and everything, but, you know, every everybody most years is getting a better than average buck all the way up to a really great buck. And so when I hit the publish button, I thought I did it. I gave everybody a really broad spectrum of how really successful people are getting it done. And it's in story form. So you can just kick back, shut off your phone, open the pages and just immerse yourself. And to me, that's always been the best way to, to read. Even though we released the book on Kindle, man, everything that's on my phone comes with a distraction. But if I can sit down and just get into a book, my mind just works better. You know, I can see the stories, you know, smell the woods, you know, see the big buck, that kind of stuff. You're listening to America Outdoors Radio. We're talking to Robbie Denning about his new book, Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. And there are some great stories here. One thing I really like about this book is that you basically have like well, for lack of a better term, a post-game analysis after each mm -hmm. story. Robbie's takeaways. So the author tells her story about the hunt, and then you go ahead and 
give your take on it. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, so for almost all of those authors that submitted a story, I just did what was called the takeaways after each story, and including mine, too. Because, you know, I'm still a how-to guy at heart. You know, that's what got me into hunting, you know, growing up reading books from, you know, Chuck Adams, Dwight Shue, you know, um, all those guys. I just love the how-to stuff. So even when I'm reading a story, I'm looking for the takeaways. You know, how can this help me, you know, bag a great deer? And so I just decided after every story, I was just going to write a a paragraph to maybe even a page on, well, this is what I took away from it. And I did that for almost all the stories in there. And I've heard that from a few guys too, because, you know, some some of those stories are, you know, 8,000 words, you know, you you get to the end of it, you, you have a good feel for it. It was a good story. But if you have the takeaways, you know, the bullet points, the cliff notes, you can go back without reading that story and say, okay, this guy did this, or this gal did this, and this worked, this didn't work. So that's what that was all about. I'm glad you picked up on that, John. Let's go ahead and talk about something else here. This is the month of November, and in your book, you point out that this is probably the best month of the season if you want to tag out on a big mule deer buck. Why is that? Well, because of the rut. And, um, you know, mule deer rut hunting has been trimmed way back from when I grew up in the 70s and 80s. But there still is opportunity to do it. Some people would argue there's too much opportunity in some places, but that's for a different show. But if you can get a mule deer tag in, say, runs from November 10th on, you're you're probably going to get a crack at the best bucks in the unit. You're probably going to see bucks you didn't see any other time of the year, except for, you know, maybe back in August before the season was open. open. And, And that's what I love about hunting in the rut. Anything can happen. Deer can show up that that you didn't even know existed. So it's my favorite month, although sometimes that first week of September can be pretty good, too. But if I had to pick the two, I'd probably go with November with a rifle than September with a bow. When it comes to hunting the rut, is it more about finding the does and waiting for the buck to show, or are you still looking for the buck? Well, if you go to the very end of the book, I couldn't help myself. I did put a few how-to chapters in there, and I, and I put an entire chapter in there. I think it's like four or 5,000 words on hunting the mule deer rut, and I broke it down into three different phases. And you've got the early rut, which I think is from October 20th to November 9th. You know, those dates can vary a, a week depending on a few things, but, you know, roughly if you're hunting then, it's not just about the doe. You know, a lot of the bucks are still in the rougher country, but they're getting closer to the does. So I don't ignore the does, but I don't only focus on them. But you get from November 10th to roughly the the 30th is is what I put down for the prime rut. So you got early rut and then prime rut. That's all about the does to me. I am not looking for solo bucks in rough country, miles from nowhere. You know, I'm paying attention to to the ladies in the herd because that's what the bucks are doing too. And then the the third phase is, you know, post-rut is December 1st on, and they can still be rutting them. really depends on a few things like buck-to-doe ratio and how many does got bred in the prime rut and everything, but that can be either or. Sometimes you find the bucks around the does. Other times, it's almost like hunting them again in September. They've pulled away from the does. They're back up in the rougher country. You know, they may be closer to winter range, but, you know, they're using steeper hillsides and stuff like that. And so uh, that's the long answer to your question there, John. Of, of course, it's about the does, but I think it really depends on which part of November you're in. Well, that's why you're an expert and I'm not. But folks, if you want to get closer to being an expert, you've got to pick up this book, Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories by Robbie Denning. Where can folks buy it? 
Amazon's the very best place to get it. They're fast. You can get it easily. They're not signed copies. If you want a signed copy, you're going to have to wait a few months. We'll have them on the Rockslide store here. I'm hoping to have them in there by the holidays. But if you're looking to get your tips and tactics and some good stories for this November right now, just jump on Amazon, search Hunting Big Mule Deer. You'll see there's two books in there. The one we're talking about today is The Stories. Go ahead and get them both. How to Find the Best Buck of Your Life. That's also been a bestseller for me, too. Again, go to Amazon.com for Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. It's a brand new book by Robbie Denning. Robbie, thanks for sharing this with us today. Thank you. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. And if you are looking for a quality made in America lever action rifle for deer hunting this season, check out the ones they have available at henryusa.com. Personally, I would recommend the Long Ranger. That is a great firearm. It's the one I own and it is a lever action rifle but it actually comes with a magazine that holds four rounds. You can have another one in the chamber five rounds total and it comes in the popular calibers that you want for deer hunting to include 308, 6.5 Creedmoor and 243 Winchester. Like all of the firearms from Henry Repeating Arms, this one looks great. It's reliable. I can tell you it shoots very accurately right out of the box. And it comes with a lifetime satisfaction guarantee. So again, go to henryusa.com, look for an authorized dealer near you, and buy yourself a Henry Long Ranger or one of the other great rifles that Henry has for you for deer hunting this season and beyond. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Country Hunters and Angles. You may have heard of us, but what are we about? BHA is the voice for your wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. From national level policy work to boots on the ground projects like public land cleanups, we work across North America to uphold the legacy of our public lands and waters, as well as your opportunity to hunt, fish, and recreate on them. Stand up for public lands and waters and become a BHA member today. Visit backcountryhunters.org. We're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. A conference is kicking off tomorrow and running through the 10th in Spokane. It's being held by the Wildlife Society. And with us here to tell us more about the conference and this organization is the Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Edward Arnett. He's a certified wildlife biologist. And you're going to find out in just a minute that biology is a big part of what this society is all about. Dr. Arnett, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, John. Really good to be with you today. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the Wildlife Society? I think a lot of our listeners don't know a whole lot about it. 
No, I appreciate that opportunity. You know, the Wildlife Society was founded back in 1937. The conversations actually started earlier than that. But we were founded at the very first North American Wildlife and Natural Resources Conference, where a group of individuals, including Aldo Leopold, many people will know that name, uh, were kicking around the idea of a professional society. And interestingly enough, at that same conference, The National Wildlife Federation was born at basically the same time as the Wildlife Society. The Wildlife Society, the spirit there was, would be the science and management arm of the professional messaging and such and direction, and the National Wildlife Federation more on the education and policy side. Our mission is pretty straightforward. It's to inspire, empower, and enable wildlife professionals to sustain wildlife populations and their habitats through science-based management and conservation. We have an annual conference each year, which we're talking about more specifically here, but we also publish three scientific journals. We have different organizational units that address all the various facets of wildlife management, including working groups that look at issues like wildlife disease, use of drones. I mean, the sky's the limit there. We've got quite a number of issues and topic area specialists that work on those issues. And then we're also broken down into states and sections. We have state chapters, as well as sections that encompass regions. Your membership, is it primarily state and federal and I guess also nonprofit fish and wildlife biologists? It is. We have a quite a mix. It's about 20% state agency wildlife biologists, professionals. It's about not quite 20% federal agency biologists, roughly 40, 45% academia, which includes students. And then the rest is a smattering of consulting firms and uh, industry and their other entities in the nonprofit sector. It, it spans quite the horizon. So the annual conference, again, taking place in Spokane this week between the 6th and the 10th. How many people do you expect and what's going to be happening at the conference? Right now, we have about almost 2,000 participants registered. Wow. So it's going to be a big conference, one of our larger ones for sure. I think people are itching to get out and see each other again post-COVID. This will be our first conference in person since the pandemic. And we have quite a diverse program and a variety of sessions. There are over 500 oral presentations that are technical science-based presentations. We have poster sessions for both professionals and students. There are 14 workshops ongoing to train our professionals, various skills, and 12 panel discussions that encompasses uh, any wide number of topics, uh, and more than 40 different networking opportunities that are lined up. And what we really try to do is get professionals in front of students and early career professionals in front of those of us that have been around a little while and, and just network and uh, mentor. It's, uh, it's a great conference. I've been a member since 1984 since I was an undergrad at Montana State University and have been to multiple conferences, not all of them, but most of them. And it's just a great place to build connections, network, answer hard questions, debate facts, debate science, and debate some of the issues that uh, are seemingly a bit controversial for our conference this year. Well, and, and I want to bring that up. Brian Lynn with the Sportsman's Alliance dropped an article last week 
about this conference and he's calling out your organization because you're inviting some organizations to the table so to speak that many folks myself included think are decidedly non-scientific we're talking about organizations that tend to use litigation instead of science to manage wildlife Mm -hmm. and they cherry pick science that favors predators like cougars and bears at the expense of ungulates like deer elk caribou and moose we're talking about organizations like the washington wildlife reform coalition and wildlife for all they're hosting panel discussions they're going to be exhibiting there why are they being given a platform at this conference well let me be very clear there is no invitation here we have an open process to attend our conference and i want to be very clear to the listeners that the wildlife society represents all wildlife professionals all aspects of the wildlife profession, and that includes diverse viewpoints across that spectrum. Our organization is open to all organizations and individuals that are interested in wildlife resources, but the key here is they have to subscribe to our purposes and principles, all of which can be found on our website. And the way this particular panel that's in question came to fruition, we have an open call for symposiums, workshops, and a call for contributed papers as well. That goes through a peer review process. Those committees are selected by our president. It goes through a a ranking and a peer review process. And this particular panel presentation went through that process and came into our program in a legitimate manner. But a key thing to remember as part of our conference, we want to be open to all organizations and all conversations. But the key thing is that those that come We want genuine, constructive discourse, whether folks agree or not. We want to respect the rights of all of our members. Now, we believe it's inappropriate to silence voices or legitimate discussions, even if some don't believe those are legitimate discussions. But I think, you know, these topics need to be discussed. And what better format than a conference full of wildlife professionals? I'd rather see certain conversations had on our platform than on social media or in the courts or in the state and federal legislative bodies because the science and the facts will emerge from those conversations, in my opinion. It's just that simple. I applaud the spirit, but I have to point out, 2004 in Spokane. I'm a member of the Outdoor Writers Association of America. I did not attend that particular conference, but it blew up. It completely blew up, and it was because there was a faction of the organization that backed the National Rifle Association. There was another faction that backed the Sierra Club. There was a huge brouhaha over hunting versus anti-hunting, and it ended up hemorrhaging a lot of members from that organization who created a new organization called POMA, and ironically, both the NRA and the Sierra Club are no longer members of OWAA. Do you have any concerns that something similar is going to happen at your conference? No, because we have always been a a very diverse society. I can assure you that there are members of our 11,000-plus membership that may, in fact, agree with the views pointed out in the op-ed. There are many that would agree with some of the viewpoints of those being called out that are coming to our conference and everything in between. And I'm not worried about this blowing up. I think the question is, are we having civil discourse and discussing the topics in a manner that 
can then be applied to wildlife management? And if the answer is yes, that's great. We've advanced our understanding and our knowledge. If it's not, then that'll come out. I mean, there's a question of whether, you know, this is a science organization. It absolutely is a science-based organization. But I'd point out that wildlife management is far more complex than just science. Right. There's a whole suite of human dimensions aspects here. And just you and any of your listeners know that the state wildlife agency and federal agencies make a call to the public for their input. They seek that public input, and that has to be factored into season settings, all kinds of different management aspects. So there's a whole human dimensions component here. So it's not just the science, but the facts around the debate and the discussion will percolate to the top. And if someone has good sound science to support a different approach to managing wildlife, we should pay attention to that and debate it and critically review it. And if they don't, that'll manifest pretty quickly, especially on our platform. Well, Dr. Arnett, I wish you a great conference. And folks, if you want to find out more about the Wildlife Society, just go to their website and you'll find that at www.wildlife.org. That's wildlife.org for the Wildlife Society. Dr. Arnett, thank you so much. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And if you are hunting this fall, you know the importance of a sharp knife. You're going to need it for gutting that animal, butchering that animal, taking the hide off that animal, and there's a good chance you have to sharpen it more than once while you're doing these things in the field. That's why a pocket knife sharpener or the guided field sharpener from WorkSharp are great items to have with you. Whether you're after deer, elk, pronghorn, or bear... A sharp knife helps you get things done after you drop that animal. Look for WorkSharp products at sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores near you, or online at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com. Campers, adventure seekers, hunters, and foodies. No matter the lifestyle, we can all agree on one thing. Great food and great people are worth remembering. At Camp Chef, we don't just make grills. We create each product knowing that a warm meal is always better when it's shared with those we love. Learn more about Camp Chef grills, smokers, and portable cooking equipment at CampChef.com. That's CampChef.com for a better way to cook outdoors. Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge? Why is Alaska like no other place on earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years. From the way you get here on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless. Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com. 
Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we've got Derek Horner on the line. He wrote an article that's in the current edition of Outdoor Life that is about hunting whitetails on the prairie, specifically about a hunt that Greg Clements went on in South Dakota and Nebraska. Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, John. I'm excited to be here. You know, most of the time when I interview folks who are writing magazines about hunts, they're talking about their own hunts. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Greg Clements and how his hunt got to be in print? Sure, yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned, it's pretty regular to see people talking about their own hunts in magazines. I talked with our editor-in-chief here at Outdoor Life at the beginning of this season and talked to him about the YouTube channel, The Hunting Public, and that's where Greg Clements comes in. Greg helped start that channel a couple of years back, and I wanted to talk to the hunting public crew as they go on each of their hunts throughout the season. They hunt from September 1st the whole way through January, and they put it all on their YouTube channel. And I figured there's a lot of learnings that people can get from that. So I've got the unique opportunity to sit down with those guys after they complete their hunt, successful or not, and take tips and tactics that they learned and write that down and tell people about it. Well, you did a great job with it, and Greg was going on a bow hunt to South Dakota, Nebraska. You basically have three different acts, you might say, of this play or this story. And the first one was don't rely on last year's scouting and intel. Go ahead and tell us about this chapter. Sure. So in that first chapter there, our first section of this article, Clemens went to an area in the Black Hills where he's hunted quite a bit in the past. About 15 years ago was actually his first time out there. So lots of experience there. And I feel like a lot of people who hunt the same area year after year will kind of relate to this information because it's super easy to just go in and say like, well, this is where the deer were moving last year. But Greg learned the lesson the hard way. He went in, didn't do a whole lot of scouting before his hunt, got there, and the entire area had changed. They had some cows grazing in that area all summer. So they uh, changed the undergrowth, and because of the, you know, that factor, the deer had moved on. And it took him a, a couple days of his hunt to really locate where those deer had gone to. Next chapter, or next subject, I should say, and this is one I have not heard before, but it makes a lot of sense, stalk into your hunting location. Yeah, this one's a big one. Uh, no matter where you live in the country, if you're hunting whitetail deer or mule deer or just, you know, whatever you're hunting in general, Taking your time getting to the stand or the area you want to set up is the best way to make sure, one, you're not blowing deer out of the area. You're going to be a lot more quiet. And then, two, if you're hunting near a bedding area or hunting near a feed tree in October where, you know, a lot of deer are going to be in that area, they might bed down amongst the oaks that you're going to hunt. If you go blowing in there and try to get set up quickly, those deer are going to hear you and run. If you take your time and stalk into that hunting location, you'll have quite a few more opportunities to see a deer and maybe even make a play and get within bow range. 
The last one, work together with other hunters on public land. And this is counterintuitive because us hunters, we tend to be very competitive, especially when it comes to public land hunts. We're trying to shoo people away, but he did exactly the opposite. Sure. Yeah. As you said, most hunters, when they see other hunters on public land, they take a really negative mindset from that. They're like, oh, crap, I can't hunt in this area because that guy's here or there's a guy set up over there. or I found this tree stand. And what Greg and the hunting public guys really preach is you're going to have a lot more fun on public land if you talk to other hunters, because whether we like it or not, there's going to be other hunters in that area. So if you talk to them and make a plan and decide where you're going to hunt and where they're going to hunt, you're going to at least know where those people are, how they're doing, what they're seeing. And then in this case for Greg, it worked out phenomenally. He ended up having a guy who was going to go hunt where he wanted to hunt that evening. That hunter was from Wisconsin. Greg gave him that spot and said, like, you can have it. I'll go somewhere else. Greg went to a brand new spot, scouted it that afternoon hung his saddle up, and ended up killing a buck that night. And then he called the uh, gentleman that he met. That guy came, helped him drag the deer out, and it was just a really, really cool experience. Greg said it was one of the more memorable hunts he's had uh, of recent years. Well, it's a happy ending to a great story. And speaking of great stories, you put together a real good one here. So, folks, if you want to read more about this hunt that Greg Clements went on, go to OutdoorLife.com, go to the hunting section, and look for the article, Tips from the Hunting Public, How to Hunt Whitetails on the Prairie, written by Derek Horner. It's a great read. I think you're going to enjoy it, and I think you're going to like looking at the buck that Greg harvested as well. Derek, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you for having me, John. Next on America Outdoors Radio... It's time for the Trail of Shame. Shame, shame on you. Shame, shame on you. Stories of poachers, scoundrels, and other 'er ne'er-do-wells. So if you see someone committing a criminal act on the water or in the field, turn them in. It's the right thing to do. Boy, oh boy, we've got a doozy for you this time. From Fox News, we learned that a Montana hunter who shot and skinned a Siberian husky she had mistaken for a wolf and then boasted about the kill on social media has been cited for animal cruelty. The Flathead County Sheriff's Office says Amber Rose Barnes, 36 years old of Martin City, Montana, was cited with animal cruelty, which is a misdemeanor for the unsanctioned death of a six-month-old husky in September. She will have to appear in justice court on the charge within two weeks. Barnes sparked national outrage after posting a series of gruesome photos with the mutilated pup on Facebook. On her post, she wrote, So, this morning, I set out for a solo predator hunt for a fall black bear. However, I got the opportunity to take another predator Wolf Pup 2022 was a great feeling to text my man and say I had just smoked a wolf pup. Hashtag first world, hashtag one less predator Montana. She wrote above five photos of her posing with the bloodied pooch on September 23rd. In one image, the skinned husky is sprawled out on her flathead truck as she smiles broadly, stroking the puppy's lifeless head with her right hand and clutching her rifle with her left. It turned out that the slain husky was one of more than a dozen dogs that had been abandoned in the Doris Creek area off Flathead National Forest, about 60 miles south of Glacier National Park. That's where Barnes was hunting. The outrageous blunder and swift social media backlash 
didn't deter Barnes. She doubled down on this, saying, This animal was growling, howling, and coming at me like it was going to eat me. Yes, I made a mistake, because I did think it was a hybrid wolf pup, but I was not aware of 19 dogs being dropped 11 miles into the wilderness either way. Yes, I would have still shot it because it was aggressive and coming directly for me. My response to Barnes about this is, tell it to the judge and see if that judge believes this. And I would also add, don't shoot and brag about killing an animal online or anywhere else unless you actually know what you've shot and killed. You're literally giving all of your fellow hunters a bad name and for all of this, Amber, you are definitely walking our trail of shame. On a better note, Veterans Day is coming up on Friday. And to all of you who have put on a uniform and served your country in the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, or Coast Guard, thank you for your service, especially during a time where fewer and fewer individuals are willing to do so in this day and age. It's veterans like you who have secured the freedoms we are enjoying today in America. And one of those freedoms is the opportunity to vote. And with Election Day coming up on Tuesday, I would urge you to do that as well. Because if you don't, you simply don't have any right to complain about how things are not going your way in the USA or your state or your county or your hometown. Make your voice heard. Cast your vote you can make a difference by doing so. Haven't brought this up in a while, but if you are on Facebook, I hope you will like and follow our Facebook page. You'll find it at America Outdoors Radio. We post stories of interest for you there and also announce giveaways. And we're going to be doing one in the not-too-distant future, so you definitely should be following our Facebook page at America Outdoors Radio now so that you will be in the know as to when that's going to happen. You might want to also check our website from time to time. You'll find that at americaoutdoorsradio.com. You'll find previews of what's coming up in the show. And if you're going to be on the road traveling, go to the tune-in page at that website. All 129 stations across the country that we broadcast on every week. On that note, it is time to go. But here's hoping that you get out there during this month of November for some fishing, some hunting, and an opportunity to enjoy all that fall has to offer. Until next time, here's hoping that you are blessed. And do remember this. It is your country and your outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. Pheasants Forever is working hard every day to ensure there's more wildlife habitat for the future. To join us, go to pheasantsforever.org.